with our wonderful words that we've sung this morning. And they are words of truth. And I pray that, and we pray with one mind and one heart, I'm sure, that you would take these glorious and wonderful truths of the gospel of our risen Savior and cause them to sink deeply into our hearts. For it is there that we have fellowship with you. It is there in the silence of our hearts when we go to sleep at night. It is there where we experience the trials and the joys of this world. It is there that we know your strength and your truth and its power in us to give us hope, instruction, light, encouragement, and at times, conviction. But in all things, as the redeemed, we look to our Redeemer. And we ask that he would be magnified in our minds and in our affections. And we pray as we open up the book of Ecclesiastes that you, Holy Spirit, as our teacher, would teach us that you would unfold to us what you have for us this morning, that we might better love Christ and live for your purposes in this world. And it's to that end that we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, open up your Bibles to Ecclesiastes chapter 12. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, as we're coming into uh, the concluding chapter of uh, this great book. And he's uh, going to continue some instructions that he began at the end of chapter 11, namely uh, to the youth, namely how with all of the vigor and the opportunity of youth, we are to live in this world. And I just introduced it this morning by saying if there's one thing about youth, it is that it seems like all of the experiences of youth will last forever, that things are never going to change, that all of the, the energy and all of the hope and all of the strength and all of the opportunities that lie before us, all those things that give youth a sense of optimism, a sense of confidence, a sense of self-assurance, all of the things that drive the young to do great things and attempt great things and to go out into the world are the things that are behind what is accomplished by the younger generation. But it's also that same spirit that can lead to discouragements. It is that same spirit that can be marked by either wisdom or by foolishness. It has great opportunity, but it also has great danger, youth does. And so Solomon is writing to address the young. He's writing to give both warning and instruction on how the, the days of our youth, the days of our strength, the days of our vigor are to be used wisely and are to be used in accord with the purposes of God. And so he begins the conclusion of this book, of his writing, by addressing the young, the future generation, those with life ahead of them and not life behind them, those who have still the opportunity to lay a solid foundation for a prosperous future. But it would be important to hasten to add that it's not counsel only for the young, but the exhortation and the principles behind it apply to everyone who still has life. There's a unique application to the young, I mean, that is who he's addressing, but the principle behind it is to lay hold of whatever future God has given us as long as we have the ability to do so, as long as we have life and as long as we have breath under the sun. Now that said, we'll begin our consideration of this concluding section by noting three points of wisdom, three points of wisdom for the young, but again for all who are living, and they are this, to embrace God's purpose in youth, we could say in youth and in life, consider that death is coming, 
and gain perspective on life's fleetingness. Those will be three points of wisdom by Solomon. We'll look at the first of it this morning and in the other two next week. Let me begin, however, by reading uh, Ecclesiastes 12, verses 1 through 8. Ecclesiastes 12, 1 through 8. Remember also your creator in the days of your youth before the evil days come and the years draw near when you will say, I have no delight in them. Before the sun and the light, the moon and the stars are darkened and clouds return after the rain. In the day that the watchmen of the house tremble and mighty men stoop and grinding ones stand idle because they are few and those who look through the windows grow dim. And the doors on the street are shut as the sound of the grinding mill is low. And one will arise at the sound of the bird and all the daughters of song will sing softly. Furthermore, men are afraid of a high place and of terrors on the road. The almond tree blossoms, the grasshopper drags himself along, and the caperberry is ineffective. For man goes to his eternal home while mourners go about in the streets. Remember him before the silver cord is broken and the golden bowl is crushed. The pitcher by the well is shattered and the will at the cistern is crushed. Then the dust will return to the earth as it was and the spirit will return to God who gave it. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher, all is vanity. This conclusion to the end of this letter in which the theme has been the vanity of life. The vanity that is Marked that is given an exclamation point because life ends in death. Everything is temporary. But before he goes into an extended discussion of that, he gives a word of exhortation, a word of instruction, and that is found at the beginning of verse 1. Remember your creator in the days of your youth. And so this is, we will title simply, embrace this point of wisdom or mark it as embrace God's wisdom in youth. Embrace God's wisdom, embrace God's purpose in youth. Solomon is now an old man as he's writing this letter. He's lived, as we know, a full life. And he's lived a full life from a vantage point that is unique to Solomon and to unique to the position that God gave him and to the resources that God gave him and the abilities that God gave him. He had experienced life with unlimited wisdom, essentially unlimited wealth, power, insight, intellect, He had everything at his fingertips. He was given an experience in life that allowed him to test everything that his heart desired and nothing was withheld from him. You could say that he is one who lived life to the fullest in the fullest possible meaning of that phrase. Not partly in any way, but in every possible way, he experienced this life and this creation and all that it had to offer As a matter of fact, after chronicling some of the details of that, he says this in verse 10 of chapter 2, All that my eyes desired, I did not refuse them. I did not withhold my heart from any pleasure, for my heart was pleased because of all my labor, and this was my reward in all my labor. He was absolutely unrestrained in his ability to do whatever his heart desired in this world and in this life. And moreover, he did so in possession of the unique gift of wisdom that God had given to him, that enabled him to observe, to think, consider, and have insight into everything that he experienced, to communicate that insight to the covenant people of God and in Holy Scripture. 
He was a man of unparalleled ability. And here he writes at the end of his life, having experienced everything that a man could possibly experience in this world, writing also under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So he is one who in his concluding remarks that we should listen to. He's one, if anyone we should listen to, it is to listen to the counsel of Solomon at the end of his life. And how does he begin his conclusion of all things? By giving counsel to the young. By one who is at the end of life saying, this is how you should begin your life. This is how you should live your life. This is how you do it wisely. This is how you avoid foolishness. This is how you know God's will and God's blessing. And by doing so, in these opening words, he gives a balance to his previous statement in chapter 11, where he really began, in many ways, his instruction to the young, in which he said then, do not refuse yourself anything. He says, follow, you'll remember the impulses of your heart and the desires of your eyes. In other words, embrace this world and everything that God has given in it for you to experience flourishing and happiness and pleasure and joy. But the warning is, that that is not to be done with the sense of self-indulgence or accomplishment that terminates upon self. It's not to be done in a way that self is the end of every pursuit. It's not an encouragement to pursue selfish ends, but it is an encouragement to pursue righteous enjoyment. In fact, righteousness begins with faith in and love for God, delight in Him for who He is, what He has done. So the pursuit of the possibilities of this world is inextricably bound to a pursuit of God Himself. And that's the right perspective to have. To righteously embrace the opportunity and even the encouragement to experience everything in this world is to do so with God as its end, with God as the end of it all. And that's really the key. And so here, Solomon captures a reflection of this idea in these opening words. Remember also your creator in the days of your youth. So let's ask first then, what does he mean by this? What does he mean by remember? Well, when he says remember, he's not meaning the opposite of forgetting. It's not simply that. It can mean that, but that's not how this term is often used within Scripture. He's not saying remember is in the opposite of being absent-minded, but it has the idea of thinking, considering, taking into account. You could even include the idea of meditation. He stated earlier, just as an indication of that, in chapter 11, verse 9, he says, or verse 8, excuse me, remember the days of darkness, same term, remember the days of darkness. In other words, consider them, gain wisdom by them, reflect upon them, and consider their implications for your life. But even beyond that, the idea of remember is a rich biblical concept, and it's connected to the idea of the covenant. It's connected to the idea, ultimately, of relationship, ours to God and God's to his covenant people. And it concludes the idea of considering and thinking about that relationship and acting consistent with it. Let me just give you a few examples, or one really primarily. In Psalm 78, for example, the psalmist, reflecting upon the trouble and the difficulty of Israel because of her being under discipline for God, recounts the history of Israel and then says this, and they remembered God was their rock and the most high God their redeemer. In other words, in the midst of their affliction, they remembered God as their covenant maker and keeper and they called out to him in 
hopes of him acting according to the loving kindness that was at the foundation of the covenant. Similarly, God also, it says in Psalm 38, 39, remembered that they were but flesh, a wind that passes and does not return. That is to say that God considered his covenant and he acted toward them according to their feebleness and their weakness and in light of his promises to them as their covenant-keeping God. Often God's acts of deliverance in the Old Testament particularly is said that he remembered his people. He remembered his covenant, such as in Psalm 106, it says that he remembered his covenant for their sake and relented according to the greatness of his loving kindness. It is not, of course, that God was forgetful and went, oh yeah, right, these are the people that I made a covenant with. It is to say that at that moment, God chose to act decisively according to his promises and consistent with his promises to them as his people. So here, when he says, remember, it is to consider from the perspective of the godly and the wise. It is a summons and an exhortation to say, consider, think about the realities beyond the moment, and don't aimlessly flitter about life. Stop and take a reckoning of who God is. In other words, it is a reminder that youth is not to be a mindless sense of running from pleasure to pleasure, from activity to activity, from one whim to the other. It should be a time that is governed by reflection, thoughtfulness, consideration of the purpose of life. But I think we would all know in our own lives and in those around us, if there's one thing that's lacking, a common characteristic of youth is to not reflect, to not act soberly, to not have a consideration of things larger than whatever the immediate concern is. So he says, remember, but then what are we to remember? What are we to remember? Well, he says, remember also your creator in the days of your youth. Remember your creator. Remember your creator. This is then to consider the reality that your life, he says, your very existence, everything, your very purpose of being here is not self-defined. It's not autonomous. It's not merely to be used for whatever your own whim and definition of reality is. You have a creator. This is to say that you are not the sum total of your reality. There is the reminder that there is truth outside of you. There is one outside of you who defines reality to whom you are answerable, which he's already hinted at previously. Remember that these, your decisions will come into judgment. He'll end that way as well. In other words, he's saying that there is a reality, there is an objective reality, there is truth outside of yourself, and you would do wise to consider it and not to ignore it. And that begins with understanding that you have a creator, that you have a creator. Now, this is highly significant. And it's highly significant that the very beginning of the books of the law, the very beginning of Scripture, is that God created all Things. It is an unabashed declaration that God alone is the maker of all things. And really, and maybe you've thought about it this way, but to say that God is the creator of all things is the foundational truth of everything else. Everything else is dependent on that. Everything else flows out of that. And just as a footnote, that is a monumental truth and declaration within the context of Israel. As we well know that all of the nations around them had many gods, they had many 
many things that they attributed to many different deities, what made Israel stand out among all of the nations, and indeed as the covenant people of a revealed religion of the true God, is that they worshiped the one who was not a God, but the God from whom were all things, and that set them apart. That they had a creator, that the one who had created all things and all nations was their God. It is a fundamental truth. It is the fundamental truth not only for Israel, it is the fundamental truth for us who are of the new covenant, who are Christians. And as I noted, it is the fundamental reality to everything else. If, if that is missed, then everything else will go astray. We wonder what are, the, what are the effects of evolution and what are the effects of the denial of God as creator, the supreme being, from whom are all things, through whom are all things. And it is to deny him as creator and then to live foolishly. We'll come back to that. But I do want to consider just briefly how central this idea is, this reality is, not only to gain wisdom, but for us to understand reality. As I noted, it is what has made you Israel unique among all of the nations of God. And again, that's, that's an implicit apologetic as well for the supernatural nature of Scripture. It was not something that was born out of their environment. It was something that stood in direct contradiction to their environment because it was given by God. They had one God, the creator of the ends of the earth. And all of God's acts uh, to them as a people and particularly as a nation was to accentuate that one point that he was the creator of all of the nations. After he formed them according to his promise within the womb of Egypt and he delivered them out of that womb from their bondage to lead them to the land that he had promised He made this declaration over and over that you will remember that he was going to act so that they will know and so that the nations will know that he alone is God. He gave the judgments that he gave and he did the things that he did so that he could declare before all that everything else is a false, that he alone is God. Just listen to a couple. He says in Exodus 6, 7, Then I will take you for my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the burdens of Egypt, and I will bring you to the land which I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and I will give it to you for possession. I am the Lord. Chapter 7, verse 5. He says he's acting. Verse 4, he says, When Pharaoh does not listen to you, then I will lay my hand on Egypt, bring out my host, my people, the sons of Israel, and the land of Egypt by great judgments. Why? That the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand on Egypt and bring out the nations of Israel from their midst. And that goes on and on and is repeated. In other words, God wants to establish this fact that the God you serve is the God who is the creator of all things. No other so-called God is that and has the power that he has. Now, there's many implications for this then. As we are to consider the fact that God is the creator, as that is the foundation of our wisdom and our way to live rightly in this world. What does it mean then to say that we are to consider that God is creator? What does it mean and how does that function as giving wisdom to those who are young and to all of us? Let me just give a few, and this is by no means exhaustive. First of all, it means this. It means then that as you consider life, as you consider the opportunities in the world, to say that we remember our creator is to remember that God is the one and the only one who is to receive the worship of our lives. 
He is to receive the worship of our lives, and he is to define what that worship looks like. Remember from Genesis chapter 4, we have the account of Cain and Abel. Both of them brought expressions of worship. Abel's was accepted. Cain's was not accepted because God was the one who determined what was acceptable and what was not acceptable. When he told his people how they were to live before him, he says they, the, the great repeated reality of the nation was that we, there is one God, our God is one, and you are to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your strength, with all of your soul, with all of your mind. To say that we remember God as creator, to exhort us to remember God as creator is to remember that as you live life, as you are making your plans, as you're considering your future, remember that at the center of that is to be the worship of the one true God. It is to say that God is the only one with authority over life and death and over all that he has made. God is the one decides what he does with his creation. Consider the authority In Genesis chapter 6, he is the one who has authority over life and death. And I'll just go through these quickly. I just want to paint a picture. It says, The Lord, in verse 5, saw that their wickedness of man was great on the earth. Every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. The Lord was sorry that he had made man on earth. He was grieved in his heart. The Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, from man to animals to creeping things to birds of the sky, for I am sorry that I have made them. He says later, now the earth was corrupt in the sight of God. The earth was filled with violence. God looked on the earth and behold, it was corrupt for all flesh had corrupted their way upon the earth. And so God as the creator of all things had the right to destroy the life of all things. And he said, a flood on the earth saved Noah and his family through the flood. To say that we remember God as creator is to say that he is the one who alone is to be acknowledged as the supreme glory of our lives, who is to be worshipped, who is to be worshipped as he said. He is the one who has all authority over life and death. That means he declares how many days that we have and the consequences of that he brings into our lives. It is to say this, that he is the only one who has the right to choose who will be the recipients of his grace. It is because he is a creator. And remember, these passages I select intentionally to know, these are the ones that are informing Solomon. He had the book of the law. He had the Torah. He had the books of Moses. This is informed in what he meant. He understood that he said, remember your creator as one who was king of the covenant people who had received this promise, Deuteronomy 7, 6 through 8. Just listen, listen. You are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his own possession out of all of the peoples who are on the face of the earth. The Lord did not set his love on you nor choose you because you were more in number than any of the peoples for you were the fewest of all peoples but because the Lord loved you and kept the oath which he swore to your forefathers the Lord brought you out by a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. That was... Part of the encouragement that Moses was giving the people before they entered into the land of promise. It is a a reflection of that own command that Solomon is giving. This is how you are to remember your creator. You remember your redeemer as he is the one who called you out by his own authority, by his own might, for his own purposes. It was certainly not because of Israel. Israel is as wicked as Egypt was. That's why they needed a sacrifice in the last plague and had the blood of the lamb. Because they needed atonement for their sin 
as did the people of Egypt, but they were the people of promise. God chose them and he set their love on them by his own sovereign purposes. To remember our creator is to say that to remember that he is the one who defines morality and how we are to live in relationship to him. That's a big one, isn't it? He is the one who defines morality. He is the one who defines what is right and what is wrong and how we are to conduct our lives in relationship with him and with one another. Where did he lead his people once he drew them out of Egypt? He led them ultimately to Sinai. There with great thunder and with great displays of his power and his glory, he gave them the ten words, the ten commandments. It is how they were to display his holiness uh, before the world. And again, he says, I am the Lord your God who brought you up. I am the one who delivered you out of the slavery of Egypt. I am the one who shall be supreme in your affections and in your life. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not have any idols, any images that you make in the likeness of me. You shall not worship them. You shall not serve them. You shall honor his name. It shall be holy among you. You shall conduct yourselves, if you're a child, to honor your parents. That's how you remember your creator in the days of your youth. Honor the establishment of authority within the family. That doesn't mean just do what you're told. That means to honor from your heart. Do not steal. Treat with one another with honesty. Have sexual integrity. Make sure your desires are, and your affections are rightly set on godly things and not coveting and not wanting those things that are not given to you, being greedy, we could say. He is the one who defines morality. He is the one who defines how we are to live in relationship with him. To remember your creator is to say that we are to remember that he is the one who has made promises and he is the one who will fulfill them. Listen to this in Isaiah 40. I'll have to say these quickly. Isaiah 40, he tells his people who are, now he's speaking to his people who are in captivity, who would have doubted the promises of God. Jerusalem lay in rubbles. They are in a foreign land. It seemed like all hope is gone. And yet, how does God encourage them? He says, who is he who measured the waters in the hollow of his hand, who marked off the heavens by the span and calculated the dust of the earth by measure and weighed the mountains in a balance and the hills in a pair of scales? Who has directed the spirit of the Lord or, or who as his counselor has informed him? He is God, and he alone is God. He says, Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket. They're regarded as a speck of dust on the scales. He lifts up the islands like fine dust. He says later, All the nations are as nothing before him. They are regarded by him as less than nothing and meaningless. You would doubt... You would doubt his power. You would doubt his ability to fulfill his promises. He says later, lift up your eyes on high and see who has created these stars, the one who leads forth their host by number. He calls them all by name because of the greatness of his might and because of the strength of his power. We are to remember our creator by remembering that he is the one alone who is to be worshiped. He is the one alone who has the rights and authority over life and death. He is the one who has the right to choose the recipients of his grace. He is the one who defines morality. He is the one who makes promises and fulfills them. He is the one who has wisdom and the right to rule over creation in our lives as he sees fit. These are part of the things to consider as we plan for life in the youth. Romans chapter 9 says this, words you're familiar with. Well, let me just remind you of part of them. He says this in Romans chapter 9. 
to those who would have issue with God as creator and his works of redemption. He says in verse 20, On the contrary, who are you, O man, who answers back to God? The thing molded will not say to the molder. In other words, the creature will not say to the creator. Why did you make me like this, will it? Or does not the potter, the creator, have a right over the clay, what he has made, to make from the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for common use? To remember your creator is to remember that God has all rights and authority over your lives to direct it as he will. In this context, ultimately, it's speaking of his redemption, but it is pointing to his rights to rule over what he has made as he desires. One lump for honorable use, one for dishonor. And he is alone the one as creator who's able to do this with wisdom. And so Paul ends this in Romans 11. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable his ways. Who has known the mind of the Lord. Who has become his counselor. Who was first given to him that it might be paid back to him. For from him, through him, and to him are all things. To him be the glory. Finally, to remember him as creator is to say this, is that he is the only one then who has the power and the right to bring creation to account and fulfill his purposes for judgment and salvation. And this is how the last book of the scriptures ends and points us. It's the beginning of the end, but he says in chapter four, speaking of the father, after declaring his holiness, it says, Worthy are you, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power. Why? For you created all things, and because of your will, they existed and were created. So therefore, God, as you bring judgment upon the earth, as you fulfill your purposes on the earth, as you fulfill your salvation to those whom you've called to yourself, you are the one who has the right to do this, and you are the one who accomplishes this through the Son, through whom you created all things. You are the one to receive honor, to receive blessing, to receive glory, to receive power, to receive dominion forever and ever. So when Solomon says, remember your creator in the days of your youth, it is to say, remember that he who created you therefore defines reality, he defines morality, he defines truth, he defines righteousness, he defines meaning, he defines the purpose of the life, and he rules over it with all authority, wisdom, and he alone is the one to receive glory from your life. All of these things are to be considered as you follow that exhortation to Go after the impulses of your heart and the desires of your eyes and as you anticipate your future as the youth. Only the one who created life can determine its purpose for which he created it and give meaning to it. You know, just as a footnote to that, I can remember when I was, uh, before I was saved, and many of you will connect with this as well in your own lives, uh, that there was, as God brought me to the end of myself through a long process, a sense of meaninglessness, a purposelessness. You don't care whether you live or die. That's a common experience to people before he brings them to faith in Christ. And the one truth, I didn't understand it all, but I knew experientially in my heart that all of a sudden was this radical transformation when God saved me. And again, I didn't understand all of what was going on, but that there was a sense of purpose to life. There was a sense of purpose. It had meaning. And the meaning was ultimately to live for him in this world to trust him and follow him. And that was something radically new in my inner experience. But it makes sense that that would be an experience of one who comes to know him because why? He is the creator of all things. However, let's note secondly, if there's one thing that too often defines youth, it is the self-confidence and self-will to accomplish personal goals without reflection. Without reflection. It is to imbibe the spirit of youth as often 
to be marked by the sense of invincibility that works against sobriety, reflection, and self-restraint. Works against submission to larger realities and purposes within themselves. Because of this, youth is full of vigor and opportunities and possibilities. It's a sense only of what I will conquer. And the temptation is to feel the intensity of working for a future without considering how it might be best managed and regulated for God's purposes in this world. That's the temptation of youth, is to forget that, is to see the world as an area for you to conquer. That can go on well past youth as well. And yet the full possibility of joy and peace of mind and meaning and hope is, is found in this very thing, to remember our creator and to remember his purposes. You know, it's a wonderful truth that God has laid before us in creation, and this is where Solomon continually points us back to, everything that's meant for our flourishing, for our happiness, and for our pleasure. But how often do we turn away from all that lays before us in his goodness and choose what only can end in death? And we all have this temptation, and the young particularly have this temptation to turn away from his instruction. And as I've mentioned many times, Solomon is deeply rooted in his instructions in the opening chapters of Scripture of creation and the fall. Let me just remind us of what is very familiar to us but is in need of constant reminder. And that is the nature of what God has given and our tendency to turn away from it. To not remember our creator, either in our youth or in life. You'll remember in Genesis chapter 1, God created... He created, he said, he said, he said, he brought all things into existence. And then he climaxes that in 126, and let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, over the cattle, over all the earth, that is, have dominion, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God created man in his own image, in the image of God. He created them male and female. He created them and he blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the surface of the earth, every tree which is yielding uh, for fruit yielding seed and it shall be for food for you every beast of the earth every bird of the sky everything that moves on the earth which has life. I have given every green plant for food and so it was. And it was good. And it was all good. And then chapter 2 zeroes in on the particulars. And how he created Adam first out of the dust of the ground. And he placed him into a garden that God himself had planted. And in this garden he had given him everything that is a delight and for his sustenance and for his joy. God caused to grow out of the ground every tree that is pleasing to the sight and good for food. And the tree of life in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Man was placed in an environment that was full of delight, abundance, joy. He was given dominion and blessing. Everything God created the world and us to know for his glory and for our happiness. There was nothing that they lacked in the garden. Everything necessary for happiness and flourishing by following the simple demonstration of their trust in God. And that was do not eat from the knowledge of the tree of good and evil. It was a picture of great joy and harmony, communion and fellowship, 
After God calls man to realize that he needed a helper that was corresponding to him and suitable to him, he created woman. Woman was brought to him. He named her, and they lived in a unity of life that was reflective of God's own nature and, and his own goodness. And so it ends with great joy. That is what our creator made. That is what our creator promises. That is why our creator designed everything that he made. Again, God is not stingy. We've mentioned this. God is full of blessing and full of goodness. However, all of this changed, and this leads us to a warning. Though God had created everything that was good, everything that was for man's delight, it didn't stay that way, did it? We're familiar The serpent came, the tempter came, and everything that was good in God's purposes, he casted doubt on. Did God say that you shall not eat from any of the trees that are in the garden? Did he say that? Casting doubt on God's intention, casting doubt on God's purpose, casting doubt on God's character and his goodness. And then he denied God's trustworthiness and the promises that he made. God did not, surely... You don't need to listen to God's instruction for you shall not die in the day that you eat of the tree. And then he deceives. He gives a lie and he says, no, 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 no. See, you've got it all wrong. You've got it all wrong. I'm going to lay before you the true opportunity to not be restrained by the creator's design and rule to stretch out your hand on your own, to take your own satisfaction, to gain for yourself what he has not given but withheld from you. Mm. that was the temptation. They could reach out on their own. So she believed the lie Eve did. She exchanged the truth of God's promise, the very reality that she was created for, that she lived in, that was all around her and was her only experience up to that point, for the false hope and the false promise brought by the deceiver, encouraged by her own flesh, And namely it is this, that by reaching out on your own, you will find true joy, your true purpose, and your true satisfaction. And Solomon has already hinted at this. God created man upright in chapter 7, verse 29, but they have sought out many devices. So this is how many do not remember their creator in the days of their youth. And that is the other side of this. That that is the temptation to not remember our creator in the days of the youth. It is to say that in our youth, very often, God's purposes can seem to them boring. Boring. And to many others. As though God's purposes are restraining. They're constrictive. They're contrary to the wants and the desires of our soul. They're contrary to personal significance. The world, by contrast, seems exciting. It seems freeing. It seems able to satisfy every desire of the soul and to bring about personal significance. The world, outside of God as creator, screams this, that satisfaction is found in me. You must reach out. You must take hold of it for yourself. The world is yours for your taking. You must mine it for all of the pleasure that it can give to you. And isn't that exactly where Solomon fell? He didn't remember his creator in the days of his youth. Oh, he did at the beginning. He asked a wise request. He asked for wisdom from God. There was a display of humility. But he did not remember his creator in the days of his youth, not as he should have been remembered. 
He said and believed the lie that satisfaction and meaning and significance must be found in all that the world has to offer. And does this not define youth? And he found that, in fact, it didn't. It ended in vanity and disaster and discouragement and ultimately discipline and judgment on him and because of his leadership, the nation of Israel. This is where the nation of Israel fell, fell repeatedly and lost everything and could repeatedly came under the judgment of God. Listen to this. Jeremiah 2.13. My people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, to hew for themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. To not remember our creator in the days of our youth, to not remember our creator in life, is to say that he is somehow deficient in who he is and what he has to offer. And if pleasure is to be found, it is not going to be found in his ways, his word, his righteousness, his truth, submission to his will. It's going to be found by what I can grab for myself. And oh, the world is very enticing. Very enticing. Satan has, through his influence, shaped a world that appeals in every possible way to what sin desires for the satisfaction of itself. And again, this is where youth so often fails. And this is where many still fall to the lie of Satan and serve and worship the creature rather than the creator. This is the very danger that Solomon is seeking to warn us Against. Remember your creator in the days of your youth. Remember your creator in all of your life. Remember your creator. Isn't this as well how Romans begins? The failure to remember our creator. This is the very essence of sin. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and righteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Why? Because that which is known about God is evident, for God made it evident. How? For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made so that they are without excuse. Isn't it interesting that the beginning of the law and the beginning of the gospel is that God is creator? He is the maker of all things. He is the one who is to be the end of all things. He is the one who determines reality. He is the one who is only rightly to be worshipped. But the very essence of sin, even as Adam and Eve did, is to say the creation is much more appealing than the creator. The creation offers much more promise for my joy and my happiness than does the creator. Taking things on my own is much more likely to yield to me and give to me the desires of my heart rather than submitting to another. That's how sin works. And so even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks. They became futile in their speculations. Their foolish heart was darkened, professing to be wise. They became fools. Eve thought she was wise. She thought that was a good choice, something that would be for her profit, something that would not have the consequences that it had, that God's word would not be accomplished. And verse 23, they exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. And God gave them over to the lust of their hearts to impurity so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. Too often in youth, it is marked by forgetting and not considering the creator, by seeing everything attractive, everything desirable in the creation. And of course, that's not just in youth. It's a particular temptation in youth but it is a temptation for all. And what is the result of that? 
It is a youth. It is a life. It is the opportunities in this world that God gives for flourishing that are rejected. And instead, verse 25, it is to exchange the truth of God as creator, as the giver of life, as the sustainer of life, as the one who is fulfilling his purposes, as the one who is to be the end of all things. The opposite of considering that, of yielding to that, of remembering that, is to do exactly what Eve did, and that is to exchange the truth of God for a lie or the lie. And worship and serve the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. And what is that going to lead to? Sexual immorality and perversions. It's going to lead to every kind of indulgence. The despising of authority. Disobedience to parents. Pride and boastfulness and arrogance and inventors of evil. That describes most college campuses and sororities and fraternities, doesn't it? Everything that is debased and everything that is debauched. Youth is seen as not a means of how can I live my life wisely, but how can I indulge now with a freedom that I've never known to up to this point in life, indulge every desire and every pleasure without regard to God as creator. This is a warning to those who think they will enjoy the world now and get right with God later. You ever heard that? Contrast to think that the whole point of youth, the world's wisdom is to sow your wild oats. Go out and lay hold of all of these things. You can be mature later, but go ahead. Fulfill all your desires. Go and experience the world. Get serious later on. Even some who claim to be Christians say things like, I just want to do certain things. I feel like I haven't tried them yet. And usually by that they mean sinful things. I'll get right with God later. All of these are statements of unbelief, of an unregenerate heart. And even if someone does not say this explicitly or even think it explicitly, this is very often how many people, even who profess Christ, live. They live as if the world is far more interesting than Christ, especially you. Isn't that the truth? As if the world is far more interesting than God, far more intriguing, far more satisfying than Christ. Simply look at the things that attract us and that draw us the most, the affections of our heart. It's a simple test. The things that we give our time, our thoughts, and our energy to. These are the warnings. Remember your creator in the days of your youth. Remember your creator in all of the days under the sun that God gives to you. He is the one who defines your purpose. He is the one who offers goodness and flourishing and joy. He is the one whose satisfaction is real and cannot be changed. He is the one who is faithful to his promises. He is the one who is fulfilling his purposes in your life. He is the one whom you are to consider in the days of your life and in the days of your youth. And I want you to notice another thing about this. And this is important as well. That Solomon's instruction supposes the fact that he expects the youth have ability to do this and to live consistently. Now, that seems rather obvious, but it's actually very countercultural, isn't it? And many of us know this. We're not immune to this ourselves in our, own, in our own home. But the reality is this, that we put far too few expectations and responsibilities on our youth. We have as a culture and as individuals family so lowered the bar of maturity that we expect that we excuse and give much allowance to immaturity and selfishness and foolishness as if it's just a part of youth and we let it go but that's not the expectation of scripture God gives instruction and says I expect youth to act wisely 
to learn wisdom, to listen to the instruction of their parents, to consider their creator in the days of their youth, to consider the implications of that to their life as you make plans and as you live your life. God does not expect or make allowance for immaturity, for selfishness, and for irresponsibility. This is not God's perspective. His perspective is to learn wisdom. Consider your creator in the days of your youth. Many examples of this. The best of that is Daniel. Daniel was likely a teenager when he was taken from his home, put into a foreign land, put under the, the influences of a foreign people, And what did he do? He acted with integrity. He acted with godliness. He acted with faith. He acted with righteousness. And God used him for great things for his people. For that matter, consider this. Mary, the mother of our Savior, was likely a teenager when the angel announced to her that what will be conceived in you from the Holy Spirit is in fact from God and the Messiah. She gave birth. Why? Because she was a righteous woman. She is one who had remembered her creator in the days of her youth, as did Daniel and as did others in that line. It is not an expectation that is too high and is not one that we should just very lightly ignore in the lives of the youth. It's how wisdom is gained. It's how foolishness is avoided. To remember our creator is also then to remember our redeemer. And this is crucial to put these together. It's already been hinted at in the text I read. For Solomon, to remember the creator, to make this, is to say to remember the God, again, who is faithful to his covenant and who redeemed Israel from bondage to Egypt, who has made his presence known, who has given the temple and the priest and the sacrifices, who has revealed himself to his people, who has given atonement for sin. To remember your creator is to remember that he is the creator not only of all nations and all things, he is also the creator who has redeemed you as his people. For the church, it is to remember this. Much more could be said, but the church, it is this. It is to remember our creator and redeemer who is revealed in Christ. So what does it mean to remember our creator? Well, ultimately, from our vantage point, in the progress of God's revelation, it is to remember that our creator is none other than him who was also revealed to us in the person of Jesus Christ. In the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Listen, all things came into being through him, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being, and him was life, and the life was the light of men. You cannot... Remember your creator and consider your creator without considering Christ, without considering the revelation of God in Christ and what ultimately was that revelation, that in him was life and the life was the light of men and the light shines in the darkness and the darkness did not comprehend it, that the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we saw his glory, glory is of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father, he has explained him. What does it mean to remember our creator in the days of our youth? It is to look at Christ. It's to look at Christ as the one through whom God created all things. To remember our creator is to remember that he is the one in faithfulness to his promise took on the likeness of his creation. Listen to this with the words of Solomon Echoing in your mind, listen to the words of Paul. 
Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, who created all things and did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, emptied himself, taking on the form of a slave, being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross, and he is the one to whom every knee will bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord. That is to remember our creator that through Christ all things were made, all of the ages, the worlds were made and it is by him that he upholds all things by the word of his power. What does it mean for us to remember our creator? Consider this. Just briefly, listen to the words of Paul. He is the image of the invisible God speaking of Christ, the firstborn of all creation, the preeminent one of all creation. And we cannot remember our creator without considering this, that by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is also head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn of the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him and through him to reconcile all things that is all creation everything that he just named is created to himself having made peace through the blood of his cross through him i say whether things on earth or in heaven what does it mean to remember your creator it is to remember christ it is remember that the end of all of creation was that christ might be preeminent in our lives To remember our creator is to remember that God is accomplishing all of his created purposes in Christ. Every purpose that God intended for man is fulfilled in Christ. Everything that God is doing in creation will be accomplished in Christ and through Christ. In him all the fullness of deity dwells. In him is all wisdom. In him is everything that is valuable and a treasure. And so how do we remember our creator in the days of our youth and in the days of our life is to make Christ and God's purposes and Christ the center of it all. What reflects Christ, what serves Christ's purposes in the world, what will bring glory to God in Christ, what shows the wisdom of God in Christ as we make our plans, as we make our purposes and so forth. It is to remember that as we consider our creator in the days of our youth, as we consider his purposes in Christ, it is to consider as we look at our lives that we have been brought with our price and our life is not our own as well. That's what it means to remember ultimately our creator in the days of our youth. And we do this by increasing in our knowledge of him, trusting him, and bringing into our lives the influences that will point us to him. All of those are things that will have to be saved. But this is the essence and the sum total of God's wisdom through Solomon. It is directed to the youth, but it is applicable to everyone who has life and breath under the sun. That is, to live our lives considering, thinking that our lives are not our own. They have been created by God. They are governed by God. They have been redeemed by God for all who have trusted in him. And all of those purposes of creation and redemption and consummation are fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. And so that's how we remember our creator. And that's how we conduct ourselves with wisdom in this world. So my prayer is that that would be true of me, that would be true of you, and it would be true of our young ones, and it would be what we point our children to as they go out and grow 
and head out into this world. With that, let me pray. Father, thank you for your word. And Lord, your word is not unclear, but clear. And as clear as it is yet, that doesn't mean that we have within us the ability to perceive it and act accordingly. But that is a gift of your spirit who gives us eyes to see and ears to hear and affections to respond to you appropriately and to move our will to embrace you and to follow you. And all of this is an act of grace. All of this is an act of mercy. Lord, I pray for our young ones, each of us who have children, especially those who are just embarking into the world, that you would give them wisdom that they would remember their creator, that they would remember Christ, that they would live with wisdom, live circumspectly, live with with a purposeful intention about the end of all things, which is the summing up of all things in Christ. Protect them, I pray, from the evil one. And help each of us, even as we'll consider next week, but each of us, whether we have many years or a few years left, none of us ultimately knows that we would live with the same wisdom to realize that our lives are given to be used for your glory. And that is not opposed to our deepest wants, but it is how we satisfy our deepest wants and what our souls were created for. Help us to get that. We're so prone to forget it. Our flesh so often leads us in a different direction, but it is true And your spirit continually unfolds us that to us as we follow you and encounter you in your word. Thank you for your mercy and your patience and your grace with us. And is the matchless name of Christ we pray. Amen. Because of